Welcome in the house of the Lord. Uh, we are here this morning to study the Word of God. We continue in our study in the book of Revelation. And today is a special blessing. Because we're going to see Jesus today. Who's excited about that? Now if you say that in the wrong circles, they're going to say, oh, what's going to happen? We're going to see Jesus. Where is He going to appear? Well, right in your Bible. That's where He appears. Amen? And that's solid, and that's where it needs to be, in the Word of God. Now, before we go to our scripture verse, I want you to open up in your Bibles, in Acts, Acts chapter 1. So I want to show you the last time the disciples saw Jesus, in Acts chapter 1. Now, sometimes Jesus did appear after that. He appeared to the two men who was walking. He also appeared to Paul on the road of Damascus. But this is the last time as a group collectively that they saw Jesus. In Acts chapter 1 verse 9. It says, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heavens. How did he go into heaven? The clouds took him up into heaven until he was out of their sight. Then two came and they said to them, they said, Men of Galilee, why do you gaze into heaven as if you've lost something? That's my words. You've lost something, but they haven't lost anything. Because they say as he goes up, he will come back again. And last week we saw that he was going to come with clouds. Now we turn on a few pages to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And you remember here now we deal with Stephen. And I want you to look at verse 54. Just before people were going to kill Stephen and stone him because they say he blasphemed. It says in verse 54, chapter 7, 54, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, this is Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw. What did he see? Come on, it's in your Bible. It's right in front of you. He saw the glory of God. Friend, while you and I are living on this earth, while we are struggling for some people on this earth, if you gaze up into heaven beyond what you can see, is the glory of God. That should, that should encourage you. You should shout out every single morning, Hallelujah, praise God. The glory of God. And now I want you to notice, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So Stephen saw Jesus. What did he see? And he said, Look, 
I see the heavens open. And look at this now. The Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He saw Jesus and he didn't say to them, I see Jesus standing at the right hand. He uses the title that Jesus chose for himself more than any other title while he was on the earth, the Son of Man. And you and I know by now that that is the title that shows us he is the link between heaven and earth. He is God who came and lived with us and went back to heaven. That's the link. That's the Son of Man. And he says, I see the Son of Man at the right hand of God. And then Paul writes all of his letters. And you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about an experience that he had going into the third heaven. And you're right. There's no seven heavens or seven cent like the women say. There's only three heavens. Three heavens. And he was caught up into the third heaven and he saw things there which he says is inexpressible and not allowed to tell. Then it amazes me that we read books these days about people claiming they were dead and they went into heaven and they write all of these things. Oh, I walked down and I saw there's a gate and at the top of the gate it says the gate of hell. I want to tell you that is nonsense. It's rubbish. It's not in my Bible. It's nowhere there to be found. But what did he see? He, Stephen, saw Jesus. And he said, I see the Son of Man. Now, this is exciting. Because now we turn to our study in the book of Revelation. And we're going to look today at the rest of this chapter. I'll have to talk really fast because there's much to say. Are you still excited about the book of Revelation? Is it still a blessing to you? Now, you know why it's a blessing. Because the word is true. The Holy Spirit, through the pen of John, said, He who reads this book will be blessed. He who hears this book will be blessed. And he who do will be blessed. And it's true. It's so true. So now, I'm going to read through to the end of the chapter so that you just see it in context. And then we're going to come in and pack these verses for you. Verse 9, I, John who also am your brother and companion in the affliction and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Also, what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Percamos, to Tythyra, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, I saw one, listen to this, one like the Son of Man. One like the Son of Man, it's the same that Stephen saw. One like the Son of Man, that title, clothed with a garment down to the feet and tied around the breast with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished brass having been fired in a furnace. And his voice, and his voice, listen, his voice was like the sound of many waters. 
And he had seven stars in his right hands. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And I start to quiver when I hear those words. You just heard the explanation or description of Jesus Christ in heaven. How privileged are you? How privileged are we to hear this out of the mouth of John? He goes on to say in verse 17, And when I saw him, what happened? I ran over to him and said, Hey, Jesus, my buddy, what did he do? That is what the church is doing these days. Hey, Jesus is my charm. He's part of my posse. No, no, no. See what he does. He says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying to me, Do not fear. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I became dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, ever and ever. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and Hades. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things that shall be after this metatauta. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the public reading of your word. And though I say no word now, get in my car and go home, I'm satisfied to know, Lord, that your word has been spoken and your spirit is working. In Jesus' name, amen. How wonderful is that? Selah. You know what Selah means? You find that word in the book of Psalms. It means pause, think, reflect what you just heard. What did you see in your mind's eyes? when I read those words to you. Stephen was standing there, and when his calamity was coming upon him, when they were going to kill him, he looked up into heaven, and the heavens opened, and he saw Jesus, and he said, I saw, I see the, uh, the Son of Man standing in God's right hand. What did he see? He saw this. John is sitting there on that island. And you know what he says? If we look at that verse... Verse uh, 13, And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands I saw one like the Son of Man. We see a lot of pictures of Jesus today, don't we? If you go to the Roman Catholic Church, you see Jesus still hanging on the cross. And that is etched into the minds of small children who goes to that false religion. It's printed into the minds of every single person who goes there. He's still hanging on the cross for them. If you open up books these days, you've got pictures of a, a bearded man, and they say it's Jesus. These are the pictures going around. And our little children look at it and they expect to see that. They expect to see a bearded man. They expect to see a man with brown hair. Because that's how they see them in the children's Bibles. You see, people have got different perspectives and pictures in their minds and ideas about Jesus. But I don't care for those. 
I only care for one. And that is how we see him now here in the book of Revelation. Because, friend, whether you like it or not, we shall see Jesus just as they saw him. Just as John saw him. That's the way that you will see him. In power and in glory. For our study this morning, I just want to highlight three things. The Holy Spirit in verse 10, when he says, I was in the Spirit, and then the description of Jesus, we're going to unpack that a bit. When he says, I saw one like the Son of Man, and then the introduction to John, which is going to open up for us the church age. So, he says in verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion, a companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. The word companion there means he's a co-participant. In what? In three things. In the tribulation which came upon them. And let me say why I highlighted this out. Because, brothers and sisters, you and I are partakers, co-partakers in these three things today. We partake in tribulation, although we've got it really, really nice here in Australia yet. If you go to the Middle East, you will read this verse different than we are reading it right here. He says, I'm with you. I'm not just standing on a pulpit and preach to you what you should do and don't do. He says, no, no, I'm with you. I'm partaking with you in the tribulation, in the persecution that's going on against you, and in the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, and then in the patience of Jesus Christ. And then we read on, he says, and I was on the island which is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Patmos is like Alcatraz in America. Who knows Alcatraz? It is a small little island. It is a jail without walls. And this is where they sent the prisoners to. In fact, the word Patmos means my killing. That's what it means. So it means if you go there, don't expect to come back. So they shipped off these people, these prisoners, to this little island called Patmos. And they had to mine there for marble. Marble is really hard. Do you know that? And it takes a lot of effort to mine this. And Paul was sent there. And he gives us the reason why he was sent there. And the word here important for me is for. If you see that word, you need to ask, what for? Why were you sent to this island? And it is for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Those same two things, dear friend, is the same two things that you will be persecuted for today. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, there's some scholars that say that he wasn't there as an as a inmate, as a prisoner. He went there to preach to them over there. I don't necessarily believe that view because if you look back, he says, I am a co-participant in tribulation, in the persecution. And we know that the Caesar of the day didn't particularly like John because he didn't want to bow his knee to him. So you and I today need to do the same. We don't bow our knee to the world. We live in the world. We partake in the world. But we don't bow our knee to the world. It's not as if God said we need to go and find an island and move the whole, all the Christians into this God's own island. And there we live. No. We live here. Like in John's day, he lived there. And they tried to kill him, to shut him up. Because what did he do? 
He preached in the churches. He preached what? The word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And because, because of that, they shipped him out. They took him to this killing, which is called Patmos. Now, let's have a look at this verse. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. What does it mean when he says he was in the Spirit? You see, there's a lot of ideas these days about the Holy Spirit. And we see all funny things happening in the world, don't we? We see how the, the Holy Spirit has been misused and abused. And people do all these funny things and they call it the Holy Spirit, which is not. And I want to say today that they will stand before God one day and repent of the things which they do in the name of the Holy Spirit. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. In the Spirit, now this was a unique uh, spiritual experience. What is it? What, what happened to John? And all we can say this morning, dear friends, is that he was carried beyond a normal sense into a state where God could reveal supernatural contents uh, of this book to him. He was seeing visions. He was there. It's not as if he disappeared from the island. No, no, he was still there physically, sitting there. But what happened is, there came this experience of the Holy Spirit upon him. This is not the same as in Galatians chapter 5, where Paul says, just walk in the Spirit and not walking in the flesh. No, no, this is a total different experience that happened with him. In fact, it's four times in the book of Revelation that this happened to him. Four times. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 2, we see, And immediately I became in the Spirit, John says, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. He saw this. He was in, a, he was in, that, in the Spirit, and he saw the throne that was set in heaven. Revelation 17 3, And he carried me away into the desert by the Spirit, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet-colored beast. So he was taken to the desert. And then in Revelation chapter 21 verse 10, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city. So what does it mean, friend? It means he was in the Spirit and, and uh, God used this unique spiritual experience to show him the revelation of the book of Revelation. And... It came through the Spirit. He was in the Spirit. Nothing else. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Deuteronomy 2, 29, 29 says, The secret things belongs to Jehovah, to our God. But the revealed things belong to us and our sons forever, that we may do all the words of the law. And I find it really interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when Paul writes this, he says, But we do not receive the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit from God, so that we might know the things which are freely given to us by God. Now, the first thing that John had to have was the Holy Spirit, because with the Holy Spirit comes wisdom. With the Holy Spirit comes understanding. With the Holy Spirit comes knowledge. You can't be in the Spirit without the Holy Spirit. And Paul says that here. He says, we've got the Spirit of God so that we might know the things 
which were given to us, explaining Deuteronomy 29, 29. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says this, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man. You need to be a spiritual man to understand these things. That is why so many people open up the book of Revelation and they go, what does it mean? John was in the spirit. You guys go really crazy when you talk these things. No. It's all explained in the word. Now open up in your Bible with me. It's not on the board. In 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Let's see how Paul explains this experience that John had. Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to follow in your Bible because this explains what John means by I was in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit. Paul was in the Spirit. L- l- listen to this now. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1. He said, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. The same that John had here on the Isle of Patmos. He received a vision. Now he goes on to say, I know a man in Christ. You see that? It's a spiritual man. It's not a natural man. He's in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. There's the explanation. So you ask me, well, preacher, explain to me exactly how it happened. You know, I will use Paul's words here. He says, I do not know how it happened, but God knows. God knows. So it's not for me to explain to you how you come in the Spirit. Have you experienced it? God bless you. There are people who are claiming they are experiencing it. Now, let me tell you this. If there are people who are claiming they experience this, listen to what they're saying. And then, you take what they say and compare it and test it by what? The Word of God. And if it's not measuring up, if it's not ticked off, if it's not approved by the Word of God, let me tell you this, it is rubbish. I'm going to be straightforward to you. There's no, you know, issue footing around this thing. If somebody comes to you and say, oh, no, no, you won't find it in the Word. Don't worry about the Word of God. But I saw it. Then I'm telling him, you might be dreaming. Because the Word of God is sure. I've backed it up by the Word. Every single thing I say is backed up by the Word of God. You're going to see when John is giving us this whole revelation in the Spirit, it's backed up by the Word of God. That's the acid test. I don't care who they are. I don't care who they want to impress, but they ain't impressing me. There's only one thing impressing me, and it's the Word of God. 
This is our guideline. Now let's continue on. He says in verse 11, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches. What you see, write it in a book. Guess what? You've got the book right in front of you. How wonderful is that? Hey, Haley. He said, write it in the book to him, and here we sit with the book. It's so fantastic, friend. I get excited about this. You, you might not, but I do. Because we've got the words of God written to us in a book, and it's an open book. He uses the title Alpha and Omega, which refers back to Yahweh in the Old Testament. That's the title. And then he uses a New Testament a phrase. He says the first and the last. You see, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. Everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of the substance. The substance is in the New Testament. The shadow is the shadow of Jesus Christ. And in the New Testament, it is Him, the substance. And here we find the two titles, the Alpha Old Testament, Yahweh, and first and last is the New Testament phrase for Jesus. And then he says, what you see, write it in this, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And he gives us the names of the seven churches. Now, why did he write it to those seven churches? There's many scholars who say different reasons for that. You know what I want to say? I just want to say God knows why he wrote it to those seven churches. Now, there's some people, and we're going to get to the church age next week, and I'll say more about that, but there's some people who believe that he used every one of these churches down there to show the ages of the church until the end. And then there's a lot of people who say that every church is applicable to the churches today, and I believe that, and we'll come to that next week. But look, it's interesting to see that Paul also wrote to seven churches. Why seven churches? It's a complete number. It's the number of perfection. And we look, we can try to read a lot of things into this, but I just want to draw from the text. Paul wrote to the seven churches as well. And interesting enough, the only church that both of them write to is Ephesus. You see that? Ephesus, which is an interesting church. And believe me, once we're going to discuss the church age, that's going to be interesting for you. He says, write it to these churches. And then he turns around in verse 12. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Seven golden lampstands. This voice. Uh, let me just go one step back. I want to show you this. When he said, I heard behind me a loud voice. That's the voice he's talking about. The word for loud there is megas in Greek, and the word for voice is phone. What is a megaphone? We all know what's a megaphone. That's where we get your word megaphone from. And a megaphone is something that makes sound very loud. That's a megaphone. And this is what Jesus did. His voice was like a megaphone. Now, if John stands there and he heard this voice like a megaphone, what's the natural thing you do? You turn around. You want to see who is talking to me. And he turns around to see. And having turned, I see, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. 
Oh man, I love this. Let me just take you a little bit of a journey here in Paul, uh, in John's mind. You see, John was so privileged that he saw Jesus incarnated. Remember this. What does it mean? He saw Jesus in human body on this earth. In John chapter 1 verse 1, out of his own pen, he writes this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen. You see, John saw Jesus when he came. He was born in a manger. He grew up as a little boy. And around about the age of 30, he then, the Holy Spirit came, he was baptized. And then he called John to be his disciple. And John walked with him. He saw Jesus as a man. He see, I saw him with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and with our hands we've handled him, concerning the word of life, for life was revealed, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show to you the everlasting life who was with the Father revealed to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So John saw him incarnated. But not only that, John also saw him transfigured. You see, one day the three of them, John, James, and Peter, walked with Jesus, and they went up on the mountain. And here in Mark chapter 9 we see, and after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up into the mountain, apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothing became shining, exceedingly white as snow, such as no fuller on earth that could be whiter than it. So he saw him incarnated. He saw him transfigured. But not only that, he saw him crucified. You remember, he was the only disciple at the cross. He saw him crucified when he was hanging there and his bones were poking out of his body and he was broken. But not only that, he also saw him when he came and he was resurrected. What's going on with my little... He was resurrected. In Luke chapter 24, verse 39, he says, Behold my hands, this is Jesus standing in the midst of them and my feet, that it is I am he. Handle me, see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see me have. And when they had spoken this, he showed them his hands and his feet. How wonderful is it for John then to turn around and then to see one like the Son of Man. And now he's going to see Jesus in his glory. One man who went and he saw Jesus through all of those. How are you seeing Jesus this morning? Are you still seeing him as incarnated? Yes, we read about him and we learn about him when we see that. Or like the Roman Catholics, are you still seeing him hanging on the cross? Or do you want to see him like this? I'll tell you one thing, friend. You will see him like this face to face when you pass from this life. Whether it is by dying or whether he's being caught up by the rapture. Now let's see what he saw. He said, one like the Son of Man, that link between heaven and earth, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about his chest with a golden band. Why that? It shows his place. 
in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He's standing right in the middle of the seven churches, and we'll get to that. And it also shows his office, this verse. It shows his garment of a high priest. He says he was his garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. This is how the high priest in the Old Testament looked. We see in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, since when we have a great high priest who has been passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of your infirmities, but has in all points been tempted just as we are yet without sin. This shows him. This is what John saw. He saw Jesus as the high priest. He is our high priest. But then, upon his chest, he was girded with that golden band. And that shows us he's the priest, but he's not only the priest, he's also the judge king. He comes to judge. And guess where he starts his judgment? In the house of God. The Bible says, Paul writes this down, he says, judgment will start, not Paul, Peter, he says, judgment will start in the house of God. And then the world. Let me tell you, friend, the church is coming for a judgment. These mega churches, there's a judgment coming because the judge king is coming. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, is coming. And here we find that picture. He's coming as the high priest. What does the high priest do? The high priest took in blood before God as a sin offering for the people, but he took his own blood into the Holy of Holies in heaven as the high priest. That shows of grace and of mercy. But not only that, when he returns, he's coming as the judge king. He's going to judge, and judgment starts in the house of God. And here he comes. He sees this. I love it when he writes down the golden band. In the Old Testament, if you read in Exodus chapter 12, when they say how to make the high priest garments, they talk about this gold band and what they used to do then. They took gold and they hid gold in that, small pieces of gold. This is totally gold. And I also love it when it says it is guarded around his chest. You see that? Not around his loins. There's no more toil and struggle anymore. No, he's the victorious king. They're not going to hang him on a cross again. He's coming to rule. You see, there's so much things in here. You can stand still with each and every one of those things, and it will show you the glory of God. And now, his head and hair were like wool, as white as snow. This is still showing his character when he's coming. When he says his head and hair were like wool, it is white as snow. It shows his innocence and his purity. And it also shows his eternality. He's for eternal. And it also shows the, the, the picture of the ancient of days. You remember that? Where do we find that? In the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, we read Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. You see, this is what I mean. When John was in the spirit... And he saw this vision. He's writing it down for us. And now we compare Scripture with Scripture. It's not just a wishy-washy thing he writes up here. You read about this. His hair were like white as well. You go into your Bible and you find passages where he talks the same. And here we find it in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. He says, I watched 
until the thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days sat, whose robe was white as snow and his hair of his head like pure wool. His throne like flames of fire and his wheels like burning fire. And then he goes on. He says it in Daniel chapter 7, 13. I saw in the night visions. This is Daniel. And behold, one like who? The Son of Man. One like the Son of Man came with clouds and heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Now let me show you something here if you picked it up. In this one year, the Ancient of Days sat down and they explained his rope. And now they say the Son of Man came to the Ancient of Days. What's going on here? Are they trying to confuse us? No. No. Because the Ancient of Days is used for both the Father and for the Son. You see, over here it points towards when the Father sits down for the judge. And here it talks about the Son coming close to the Father. And now he continues on in verse 21. There's four times, uh, three times that he uses the Ancient of Days in the Old Testament. And these are the three. Daniel 7, 21. I watched, and that horn made war with the saints and overcame them. This is talking towards what we're going to see in, after chapter 4 in Revelation. Until the Ancient of Days came. Who's that? Jesus. And judgment was given to the saints for the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. You see the scripture back scripture. His head were like wool, and what about his eyes? His eyes were like flames of fire. You see, he can see everything. And fire in the Bible is also a symbol of judgment. Of judgment. You know when uh, they talk about Jesus, He will baptize you in fire? And now we find in churches these days, and I've seen it with my own eyes, when they come and they talk about the Holy Spirit coming down, they go to people and they lay hands on them and they say, Fire! Have you heard about that? They don't know what they're doing. You see, they see this a blessing. They want to go, Come, have you got the fire? Friend, the fire of God is judgment. And he is going to look at you with his eyes of flaming fire. And what is he going to see? You see, when we came to the cross, we gave our sins. Jesus Christ took our sins away. But if you've got sin in you, he's going to come. And those eyes of fire is going to judge you for the sin. That's why I say it's important that you are born again, saved by the blood of the Lamb. Otherwise... The fiery eyes of Jesus Christ. If you die tonight and you open up your eyes, you're going to look into the eyes of the Son of God. And you know what you're going to see? You're not going to see those blue or brown eyes which they saw Jesus incarnated. No, no, no. You're going to see eyes of flaming fire. That's what you're going to see. It's described here for us. I'm not sucking this out of my thumb. And you know what you're going to do? You can't sit like you sit here and hide behind your face all of the things that you do and you hide for people. You can't hide anything from Him. His eyes, His eyes of fire penetrating and it's eyes of judgment. It's a show of judgment. He can see everywhere. What you think right now, He knows. His feet were like fine brass in refined furnace. You see, it's all about judgment. He comes as the judging king. 
The brazen altar in the Old Testament was a place where fire consumed the sin offering. And here he talks about like fine brass is his feet and refined as in a furnace. This is a different Jesus now, isn't it? Oh, where's the loving Jesus? He is loving. If you are saved and your sins are washed by the blood of the Lamb, He is loving. But if you're a sinner, you're going to be judged by Him, and it's like fire. His voice as the sound of many waters. He speaks with power and authority and must be heard. Oh, I don't want to hear about Jesus. Oh, take that Jesus away from me. He must be heard. And let me tell you this morning, I don't want to add to the Word of God, He will be heard. There's no way that you're going to escape the eyes and the voice. It's so wonderful when He writes about this. Now, I want to bless you a little more about the Word of God. Let's go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 10. This is what John saw. Now again, <laughs> I'm sounding like a broken record. But I want to warn you, if people come to you and say, oh, I have this vision, and they start telling you all of these stories, compare it and test it to the Word of God. If it doesn't add up, it is rubbish. You see, when we take this now that John has written down here, we want to compare it to the Old Testament, yes? We find a really interesting thing that happened to Daniel. Look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. Are you still enjoying this? Nobody. <laughs> Listen to this. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belsassar. The message was true. I love that. But the appointed time was long. Now, just look at me for a minute. John received a vision and a message. Friend, that message is true, but it's also long. This is why people come to you and me and they say, the Bible says these things are going to happen. It's been so many thousands of years. It hasn't happened yet. When is it going to happen? This is the answer. The message is true and it's long. Now listen to this. And he understood the message and had understanding of the visions, or the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself and, at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, listen to this, whose waist was girded with gold of upas. Who's he describing? It's the same picture we see here. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire. Who's he seeing? Come on, friends. This is the Old Testament. So nothing new under the sun. His arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like what? Like the voice of multitude. It's exciting, isn't it? It confirms. 
And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. Man, I can go on about that as well, because he was a spiritual man. And what happened? He was in the Spirit, just like John was in the Spirit. But a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw the great vision, and no strength remained in me. Now listen. No strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Man, I, honestly, I said it last week, I can continue on and on. I can just go on. There is so much. And look, why is it so exciting? Because, friends, it builds our faith. Here is it in the Old Testament. Daniel saw him. And here we find John. And he gets the same vision of the Son of Man. The Son of Man. And like I say, he's coming to his people. He's coming for judgment. And now, and, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp to its sword, and his countenance was like the sun of a shining in its strength. Out of his right hand is the seven stars. Now this refers to the messengers. He calls them angels, but it also refers to the, the, the pastors or the messengers of the churches, the preachers in the churches. We find another example of that, a clarifier of stars compared to people who's winning souls. We find it in Daniel. He says in Daniel 12 verse 3, And those who are wise shall shine in the brightness of the sky. Listen to this. And those who turn many to righteousness, many to righteousness, shall shine as the stars forever and ever. You see, there's a lot of symbols he's using here. And here is part of that. So to make to understand that we're not reading meaning into that, we're going and we're pulling meaning from that. And we find in the Old Testament here in Daniel, he says those who turn many to righteousness, that means what, what Janil and his, his, his brothers are doing and what Kingsway is doing on the streets, preaching the gospel, those people who's preaching the gospel and people turn to righteousness who are saved. You know what? It says here they shall shine. Those people who do that shall shine like stars forever. Isn't that a beautiful description? That you are compared to a star? You see, an angel is a messenger. And a pastor or a preacher is a messenger. It's preaching the word. There's no special things about it that everybody's got to bow now and kiss the finger. No, no. No, no. It's a messenger from God. And he says that, and out of his mouth went a two-edged sword. What does that mean? Well, we find it in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. He says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing part of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, let me excite you right here. Right here. They are building a bomb which will do what I just told you. It's called the atom bomb or the nuclear bomb. Isn't it right? And people are so afraid of that. Now quickly, if you want to look in your Bible, in Revelation chapter 19 says that he's going to come on a white horse. He's clothed, dipped in blood. And what is coming out of his mouth? A sword. So they can build the nuclear bomb trying to fight 
There's something much more stronger and powerful than that. What is that? The Word of God. Why? Because look what the Word of God can do, my friend. He says it is living. It's not a dead book. It is alive. The Word of God is alive. And you know what it is? It is powerful. And now, he says how powerful it is. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces between and dividing the soul and the spirit. The soul and it, it, Listen to me. I don't think you get this. The nuclear bomb can kill your body, so it can separate the body and the soul. But it cannot separate the soul and the spirit. Have you thought about that? That is how powerful our God is. <laughs> Can you understand? It separates there where nothing on this earth can... And, and then it goes on, and the joints and the marrow, the marrow, and he said, the discerner of thoughts and the intents of hearts. This is coming out of his mouth. This is going to judge the world. They think, they think in, at, at the battle of Armageddon, we're going to get there, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be so wonderful when we get there. But they think that they're going to set up their nuclear and fight God of heavens. You know what? He just says a word. And that happens. Be fearful. And then he says, his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Have you felt the full strength of this sun shining? <laughs> it goes a few degrees up and we start complaining. We are running for the shade. He's, uh, look, there's too much. There's so much here. But I want to end up today. Uh, he, uh, you know, he talks about, he says, and when I saw me, I fell at his feet. Let me just talk about that for a minute. You see, there's these people who make Jesus their buddy. You know, he's my charm. He's, my, he's part of my posse. He just rides with me. JC's in the house. JC's in the house. I'll tell you one thing, friend. Whenever I read of His presence coming in the same place where human man is, this happens. You fall at His feet for the power of God is too much for you to handle. We need the Holy Spirit. See what happened to Daniel. You remember when I read to you that passage? Here's the same. He says, I fell at His feet, but He laid His right hand on me and saying, do not be afraid for I'm the first and the last. You see, he used the New Testament phrase again, I'm who lives and was dead, and, and I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Oh, glory to God, He's alive forevermore. That's the reason you and I are still here today and, and sitting here. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Death, where is your sting? He's got that keys. I've preached a whole sermon on, on that. Uh, but I want to finish today with the key that I believe, not only me, a lot of scholars believe this is the key to the book of Revelation. He says to him, he gives him an instruction, he says, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. An uh, 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 angel is a messenger. It's somebody who brings a message. But I showed you previously that it also refers to the man who preaches the message, who brings the message. They are also compared to as, as stars. 
and then the lamb stands is the seven churches but what is interesting here interesting here is it's not like the menorah which stood in the temple the menorah is the one stand with the seven branches these are seven separate ones and we will see as we continue into the church age next week why that is so but the most important part for me is that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, is standing right in the middle, in the midst of the churches. Look, there's a lot of problem in church today, in churches today. But Jesus is right in the middle of it still. And that's important to know and to understand. And now he says, this is the key. He says, write the things which you have seen. What did he see to this point? He saw Jesus what I've explained to you now. And look, we can spend two or three weeks on this chapter or this few verses. But he saw Jesus in chapter 1. He says, write down the things which you have seen. And then he says, write down the things which are, which is chapter 2 and chapter 3, the church age. And I will explain that next week. And then he says, write down the things which will take place after this. That is from chapter 4 to 21. That is the key to Revelation. You understand that verse, you read that verse and lay it out according to that verse and Revelation will make, not sense to you, it, you will understand the book of Revelation. The things which are the church age. There's seven churches. Starting next week, I'll just see how time's going to allow, we'll take each church. Now, I want to give you homework and I want you to go and read chapter 2 and 3. But I also want you to go and read Matthew chapter 13. Because it's interesting, friend, there is seven churches and there's seven parables in the book of Matthew. And what I'm going to do from next week is we're going to take each church and we're going to take the seven parables and we're going to compare those parables with the seven churches. And you will find amazing things about the parables and the seven churches. And then he says, write down the things that will take place after this. The word that is used for after this is the, the Greek word metatauta. Metatauta means after these things ended, after something stopped, a new thing starts. And you will find after the church age stopped, a new thing starts. And that will be explained in the next few weeks. That is the vision this morning, friend, of Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with a question. Are you ready to look into the eyes of the Son of God, the Son of Man? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. And Father, I must admit this morning and confess, Lord, that my feeble mind is too small to even grasp the fullness of what I've taught today. I confess that, Lord. But I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, Lord, which helps us, who teaches us about Jesus and about all these things.